One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is a podcast from the Smart Material Collective, made by nerds, funded by the listeners. Is hair a material? Are biscuits a material? Are crystals a material? Is plastic a material? Is porridge a material? Can gases be a material? Are eggs a material? Is water a material? What do you call everything that isn't a material? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh at your question. And yet you continue to do so. <laughs> Hello, welcome back to Real Talk. I'm your host, Anna Pajajski, and this is the podcast where I interview materials experts about the stuff that means something to them. This episode, I'm joined by Mark Mirdovnik. Mark is a professor of materials and society at UCL and also a director of UCL's Institute of Making. He has recently written a very excellent book called Liquid, and now... Regular listeners to the podcast will be aware that I'm not convinced that liquids should actually be classified as materials. So I obviously started by asking Mark exactly that. Are liquids actually materials, though? The definition of solid, liquid and gas, these were taught to us as children as as very distinct, but that, that is an illusion. And writing the book was really an exploration of that. I wanted to know if that was really just, just, there were just some anomalies, but no, now that I realise that actually matter is a continuum. It's a continuum from what you call solidness all the way through to gassiness, and that we've made these de- demarcations, but they're not hard and fast, and that there is no really good definition of what a solid is. There's no really good definition of what a liquid is or a gas. They, they, they blend into each other. They're just, they're just convenient shortcuts so that you don't have to kind of go, it's a substance like this and it has this behaviour. Okay. <laughs> you know, because solids behave... There's a certain set of behaviours that the solid matter has and, 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 and things that you call solids behave like that. But a lot of them have liquid behaviour too, like the tar on the road is technically more liquid than solid. Because... But it behaves like a solid most of the time, under short time frames, because the thing we haven't talked about is time. Okay. So you step on it or you drive over it and it resists you. It, it's not squidging away from you. It's not being splattered to the side of the road. But if you make a little crack into that road as a result of walking on it or driving on it, that crack will heal itself and it heals itself by flowing. And that's a liquid property. And that happens over a matter of days on the roads outside this recording studio right now. It's happening. So that's just a single example. But I suppose I think more generally about this thing about what is a material and whether liquids are them. And I would say that the word material is, is, is just a social construct. Materials don't exist only structures exist. That, this is the hard kind of definition that I would be comfortable with. There are structures in the world. There are atomic structures. There's quantum structures. <laughs> there's uh, molecular structures. There's microstructures. There's macrostructures. There's buildings, which are clearly you know, structures. And you, 
if you call something a material, what you really are saying is, I'm going to make something out of that. So a building's not a material because you're not going to make something out of a material. You might say wood is a material when you're going to make something out of it. But, you know, you can make stuff out of liquids. You can make stuff out of gases, right? So think of a bicycle wheel, right? It's got gas in it. it without it, it's not, it's not a wheel, really. I mean, it's not a wheel in the sense that you can't ride on it. So mm -hmm. it's, that gas is part of the material of that tyre, I would argue. It is part of the material, and you can't, you know, it's very hard to get away from that, in my view. Liquids, similarly, like there are lots of liquids that are intrinsic to stuff that we make stuff out of, like liquid crystal display on your phone. <laughs> it's part of a screen. Uh, so it's a material. Okay. So I was at a music festival with some friends, and they started the game of trolling me, like, is this a material or is it not? And we came up with the definition that it's a material if you can make a jacket out of it. But I suppose you need to look beyond jackets, actually, for some examples of things that could be materials. I think material is this word that is confusing and often not helpful. And in fact, I think that the word material science as a discipline is actually the, a bad name for mm. what we do. It's, um, it's, it's a making science. What we do is we, we study the science of how to make things, really. And in order to make something that has certain properties, like this water bottle has transparency and a stiffness and a strength and to get those properties I need to get some certain structures that do those things so I need the molecular structures and I need the macro and micro structures and then after a while you say well that's a plastic material <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a shorthand for those structures because we can't keep saying well I've got this microstructure and this atomic structure and that you know you say I've got plastic <laughs> right. or I've got metal and we call those things materials but it's, they don't really exist, materials. That, there aren't any materials in the universe, in my view. It's, it's, it's just a philosophical word that, that kind of stands in the way of us telling you exactly what we've done, how we've exactly got those properties. Because you might say, well, is an atom a material? Right, is it? Well, in the sense that it has structure and you can make things out of it, yes, it is. But it's also an atom. I mean, <laughs> as I said before, <laughs> it's not a very useful word, material. What would it's be... kind of annoying to be a person whose whole life is defined by this word that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> yeah. I think that the, this, this variable that is worth talking about is time. So, like, that you make things out of things, but they aren't static. Nothing is static. It's constantly decaying. Those structures are constantly falling apart. And so when things fall apart really quickly, they're liquidy. <laughs> so you can make, instantaneously, you can make a droplet of liquid, but it will quite quickly, that structure will quite quickly fall apart. Whereas you can make a sphere of solid and that will stay around for a lot longer. <laughs> and so to me, to me, as you move towards liquid and then to gas, basically, it's like, it's like time is, 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 is the variable there. It, the structures don't hang around for as long. Um, the book is called Liquid. Why is it not called Liquids? Um, because when you write a book, you don't get to decide the title, it turns out. Um, I didn't realise this before going into, into publishing. You write the words. The two things you have almost no... No control over, I've discovered, and this turns out to be true, is the title and the cover. Okay. It was going to be called Fluid. That was my initial title. Mm. Sounds a bit like bodily fluid. That's what they it? said. It's <laughs> exactly what they said. And um, so we, got, we moved away from that. Anyway, liquid. So it is a fascinating kind of substance. I, I like the word substance, by the way. Okay. As opposed to material. Well, it, it seems it just I just it, it kind of gets you around 
because people have less mm. they have less preconceptions about what's the substance yeah whereas material they 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 feel that there are things that aren't materials that are materials yeah as we have discussed <laughs> at length <laughs> yeah. whereas substance people just they just let you go with that one okay they don't, they don't go oh, but what do you mean by substance <laughs> people just they right. just they're good with substance okay cool so anyway it's this substance that flows yeah and and, and a shortcut to a definition if you want one which as I said before, it doesn't really exist for liquids, but is that if you if if this substance flows into a container and takes the shape of that container, then it's a liquid. But I've seen cats on the internet that take the shape of the box that they're in, so cats are liquids. That's potentially true. Yeah. And it's also another good example of why these definitions never hold. Right. Um, and also why cats are anarchic. And that's actually my main argument. Thank you for that segue. <laughs> <laughs> that's my main argument in the book, is that... Unlike solids, right, which, you know, once you've made them, they generally stay put and do stuff for you. They're, they are humans, you know, they are the sort of, uh, are an expression of us, but they also do stuff for us and, and they're our friends. Liquids are not our friends in the same way that cats often are not our friends. They're sort of, not, they've got a will of their own. They'll flow, they'll get off the stuff, they'll, you know, corrode stuff, they'll leak, they'll drip, they'll wash over you, kill you by being an enormous tsunami wave or a storm. So they are they're much more they're much less controllable. They're much less in our control as humans. But we love them nevertheless because they're so powerful. So so there's this dichotomy. Um it's it's they they've got some solid like properties, dependability and power, but they they got some gas like properties. They sit between solids and gases. And so they're they're neither a solid nor a gas. And so you, you don't really know where you are with them a lot of the time. So water is a good example. We can't live without it. We're made of it. Uh, we love it to wash in it. We love to drink it. We need to drink it. Um, but worldwide, water is a big killer. If you, you know, and uh, well, you know this, you saw on the channel. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's a terrifying substance. Sure. There's that word substance again. Anyway, um, <laughs> so yeah. And so actually, as the book progresses, I mean, the subtitle is the, the, the you know, the delightful but dangerous. And it's those two sides of liquids that I constantly come back to. And I, I have a few examples as we go through the book of those. And, the, and basically the book is shaped as a story of getting on a plane. And it makes sense, I think, to start on a plane journey. It may seem a bit odd. We're on a plane journey, you don't think of liquids. But actually, the first thing about it is that when you arrive at the airport, they basically want you to get rid of all your liquids. And that's an interesting story. Why is that? And then as soon as you're through security... And they're happy they've got rid of all your liquids except for 100 milliliters of some substances, which they're okay with. Then they try and sell them all back to you in the case of alcohol and perfume and creams and drinks of all sorts. And I find that hilarious in a way because we just basically can't live without them. So you're without them for a very small period of time or maybe long period of time, depending on the size of the queue of security. And then you get on the plane and, you know, there's a there's one very important liquid that's going to take you where you're going to go, and that's the aviation fuel. And that seems to be an unsung hero of air travel that no one really mentions. So I thought I'd tell the story of kerosene. And, you know, there's 100,000 litres of it underneath your seat and in the wings. And, you know, it's a very it's got 10 times the embodied energy than nitroglycerine. And, you know, nitroglycerine is a pretty powerful substance, yeah. um, you know, dynamite. So how is it that we've managed to harness this kerosene and make us allow us to go places fly you know for a few hours we can go across the whole world we can go from you know rainy gray london all the way through to a beach holiday 
and it's kerosene that's got us there. And how, where did that liquid come from and how have we managed to control it and should we be worried about it? And importantly, why don't they mention it in the pre-flight safety briefing? <laughs> Which is a returning theme in the book as well. I am slightly obsessed with the pre-flight safety briefing because not only do they not mention the kerosene, they mention all sorts of other things which essentially are risks so small that um, you wonder why they're mentioning those. And they get they make a big deal about who's by the exits and could you, you know, open the door and, you know, you have to be able-bodied and all that sort of stuff. And then the next, as soon as they take off, the trolley comes down the aisle. They try and they give you some liquids, often alcoholic liquids, which I talk about in the book as well, which will, you know, basically make you drunk and make you unable to operate the safety <laughs> equipment. But they seem not at all bothered about that. And yeah. that makes you think, doesn't it? Whether mm. the whole pre-flight safety briefing is really about safety. When you write a book, obviously, um, you have a you write a proposal and, uh, and we'd agreed that it would be about a plane journey. And everyone was like, this is a good device to talk about liquids because there are so many liquids along the way, liquid soap and the drinks on the trolley and... The, the the droplets and the clouds that you fly through and the oceans below us and you know it's a good and then we we land and of course illinally not on solid earth but on a <laughs> on a crust of a planet that's liquid and all these things but um you know then i actually sat down to to actually write it and write the first chapter and, you know where do you begin well i'm on the plane and here i am we're doing the pre-flight safety review it, it was then that i realized that i had never really thought about it properly before and i started studying it and 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 then I became slightly obsessed with it and I bought all the props. And in fact, I, I actually can do the pre-flight safety briefing. Uh, I, I know the pre-flight safety briefing. I have all the props. I have the seatbelt. I have the life jacket. I have the I have the air mask. I, why? Yeah, I even have the safety brochure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thorough research, Anna. It's important to okay. know your subject. Uh, no, because... Uh, yeah, um, well, partly because I, 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 I like, I, I'm sort of convinced that because of the dangerous aspects of liquids that we have a lot of ritual around them. And this is one of those rituals. It's a liquid ritual. It's the pre-flight safety briefing. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, 
You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And I'm quite into the other rituals associated with liquids. For instance, the, when you have tea. Mm. I'm, I'm a teapot person. And teapot people understand that tea is more than a drink. It's a ritual. Mm. It's about a relationship between people. It's a, it, it can be about home. It can be about welcome. It can be about, this is a nice moment, isn't it? <laughs> Let's share it together. Mm. You know, that's what the pot represents and the sounds of it being poured into the cup and all these things are important to me and, and they're part of liquids. And um, so I've sort of tuned in to the, the ceremonies around liquids and, and wine has a ceremony around it. You, know, you get the bottle and especially at a restaurant, you know, first of all, the bottle is shown to you. Yeah. <laughs> you have to approve it. <laughs> Did I pick that one? And uh, then you say yes, and then the and then it's opened in front of you, and you know this is mm. another ritual. What does what does that ritual say? What is it about? It's kind of um, this is a very special liquid. This is the most sophisticated liquid in the world, and therefore you are sophisticated. I think that's what it's saying, and it, and it, actually in the case of wine, you know that I talk about this in the book. I think it's a kind of um, it's a marketing exercise really. That it's it's all about the winemakers trying to push wine up. To the mo- you know to, to be the most sophisticated drink in the world, when in fact I think anyone who's really sat down and really blind tasted wine realizes that <laughs> that that most wine, uh, quite a lot of wine, tastes exactly the same as <laughs> quite a lot. And in fact, the science backs this up. So there's lots of you know um, there's lots of reasons why you would drink wine, but but other drinks as well as accompaniments to meals, but they're not offered to you. And why? Why is it? It's because it hasn't got alcohol in it. And alcohol, this component of wine, is 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 a drug and it's also a poison. And um, and the reason why it's a drug is because it's a poison and that's why it's called being intoxicated. It's because it's toxic to your body. And it's quite pleasurable to some people to, to have their body attacked by this drug and for the body to kind of go, ah, and that ah feeling makes you relax. It kind of disinhibits you. But it's something that we know that we don't want children to do. We think that's bad for them. So it, it, it's because of that, suddenly wine becomes the drink that is adults have, and adults are sophisticated. So 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 tea doesn't have alcohol in it, so it can't be sophisticated. You know, that's the kind of argument that's ha- you know that's washing around. And beer is less sophisticated than wine in this argument because it's less alcoholic than wine. And what's the most sophisticated drinks? Well, you know, like whiskey, which are even more, mm. <laughs> even more kind of um, uh, alcoholic. And this whole gin craze at the moment, I think, is also born out of that. And gin is really mostly just pure alcohol uh, <laughs> with a few flavorings in it. It's yeah. like uh, it's not, you know, I mean, it's, it's delightful on a sunny afternoon, but <laughs> let's not get it's not tea. <laughs> I think I'm going to come back and come in again. <laughs> tea is an underrated drink. Well, I was my one of my questions for you was going to be, what is your favourite liquid? Is it tea? Um, I mean, I wouldn't say I have a favourite liquid because it feels like favouritism. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, tea is great. Mm. It probably is tea. <laughs> now yeah. that you say that, I'm trying to think of another one that I really love as much as tea. And beer, and beer is probably. Mm. If you said to me, you've got to give up one liquid and it's either got to be wine, beer or tea or coffee. Those are my four big liquids, apart from water, let's say, that I drink. That's for sure true. I wouldn't want to give up coffee 
we haven't talked about it, but it's a great drink. Mm. And I really wouldn't want to give up tea, more so than coffee, in fact. And I definitely wouldn't give up beer. So, so you've got three. I'm going to give up wine. Yeah. Which I could easily do. I think I could easily do that as well. Yeah. It's mm. totally overrated. And it's kind of, it's sort of just, it feels a bit superior. I didn't, I'm not good with that whole, you know, hierarchy thing. Yeah. I'm not a big wine person, but it's something that is always provided, isn't it? Like whenever there's a drinks reception, you know, there's like 100% going to be wine. I know. Well, they, we're back to that thing again. Yeah. This is, we need to push back on this. What, what should, what tea instead? Yeah. No. Really? Yeah. Wouldn't that be great? That would be to, nice. It would be nice, and but a really nice selection of teas. Mm. Do you like learning about the latest in science and tech? Do you get annoyed by constant jokes about E equals MC squared, as if a bit of incredibly niche humour is a replacement for actual personality? Do you hate the fact that it's always old white men comparing the size of their hadron colliders? That joke's okay because it's about penises. Why aren't you a doctor yet brings together science, tech, pop culture and comedy? I met her at a cafe. She had, When I came in, she was like, yo, is there plug socket around it. I was like, why? She's like, got a plug in my heart. I was like, fucking hell. With six degrees, two PhDs, and a whole host of expert guests, we discuss everything from current affairs. And mm. we've got this term single-use plastics, mm. which we don't have for any other materials, right? We don't have single-use metals. Ethics. So the calculus is not, am I prepared to give up my rights in order to have greater ability to, to stop terrorism or crime? It is, am I prepared to give up the rights of some very vulnerable people within society mental health i did not call a therapist i called bristol's prime greek restaurant no way and whatever this is it started <laughs> off as a light science podcast featuring ethnic minority people <laughs> and somehow it's become fucking university challenge <laughs> did i ask for this no i'm concerned <laughs> i'm coming across like a bit of a dick <laughs> join us for why aren't you a doctor yet it's like getting your phd but without the loss of time, money, and ability to form healthy human relationships. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. My favourite chapter in your book was the one about water. And when you were writing about like the, the storms in the oceans that start like way out in the middle of the ocean, and they travel all the way. And the thing, the, what I really liked thinking about was like, you have all these different waves and they're all created in a spot, say, um, and they're all going all in different directions. But then the further they travel, the more orderly they become, like they kind of sort themselves out and they become like regular repeating waves. And then by the time they get to the beaches, that brings us like such, usually such joy. Sometimes it's horror. <laughs> but um, like, I think that's amazing too. I yeah. didn't realize this when I was writing the book, but this, this, that rhythm of the waves on a beach that we all, I think most people find very relaxing and comforting that that is self-sorting of a rhythm that started out as a storm and it's so it's music i mean it really is music created on the ocean way i mean i find that staggering as as you just said and that you know when you're near a real storm that's too close to the coast so you just you're just getting the irregular kind of white noise of of a storm it's terrifying. Mm. I mean, and and it's not comforting. It's the exact opposite. Um, so yeah, it's um, there's no end to the fascination of an ocean. And I think I, with the water chapter, I really was 
I was really struck by the fact that in small quantities, water is brilliant and wonderful and we need it and we have to drink it. I'm drinking some now. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just take a slip. But when it's big, like an ocean or a sea, it's so dangerous. And it's the bigger, the biggest killer. I mean, the biggest natural killer of humans is, is water. Is it? Yeah, big, all the big natural disasters yeah. are recorded are floods, tsunamis, if you look back through the ages, the the one that really struck me writing the book was when I talked about the um, Japanese, you know, earthquake at um, Fukushima, where the earthquake was off, you know, off the coast. When it hit, you know, it, it destroyed a lot of buildings in in the mainland. And but of the people who died, only five percent died then. So wow. only five percent died because the buildings were collapsing and stuff. Ninety five percent of the people who were going to die were still alive as this uh, massive tsunami was rushing towards them. And they knew it was coming. But when it hit, it's just so powerful, insanely yeah. powerful. Um, and it just killed enormous numbers of people. And that's water. It's, it's not, it's a dangerous substance. Yeah. When you were swimming across the channel, mm. and that, I have to say, is an remarkable achievement. <laughs> um, did you, you know, you, your relationship with, Water. I mean, this is not the longest. I mean, it's not. It's, is it the longest swim you've ever done? Yeah, it is. Okay, but but you've done long swims, five or six hours before that. Yeah, yeah. But did it? Was it a big difference? Suddenly, did it ever occur to you? I'm in the middle of this enormous ocean, and if something <laughs> happens, like, did you get more and more kind of vulnerable as you went across? Or um, that's a great question. I started out at about half past eight in the evening, and it was during the July heat wave, so it was completely blue sky. Really, really warm water, really warm air. And as I was swimming away from the UK coast, um, the sun was going down and the sky was kind of pinky bluey. And I remember looking back, probably only like 45 minutes in, <laughs> and looking back and seeing like the white cliffs of Dover all lit up in orange because the sun was going down and that was beautiful. Then it got dark and that was quite a low point because as the sun was going down, I was like, oh God, like... I'd never swum in complete black before. So that was quite anxiety-provoking. <laughs> and then it actually got dark by about, I don't know, 11 o'clock or whatever. And I was like, oh, OK, this is as bad as it's going to get, and that's fine. And the boat was shining huge big lights onto me as well, so it wasn't actually dark. But then I swam all night, and as the light was coming into the sky, that was like a big, a big relief. And the sun came up, I think, about eight hours in. So what would that be? About four o'clock in the morning, yeah. And um, that exactly coincided with the tide turning. And I swam a week earlier than my actual slot, which meant that I swam on a really strong tide. And usually, well, they do now, but they never used to go on spring tides because it just sweeps oh, you up and down. Spring tide? Yeah. That's the worst time to go. It is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but the weather forecast was for completely still water, and that's exactly what happened. So that was amazing. By swam on a spring tide, it was the full moon the day before. So it was like as springy as it's ever going to get. <laughs> anyway, it was eight hours in and um, the spring tide started to turn. And I'd never experienced a tide before. But basically what a spring tide feels like is swimming on a treadmill. And a spring tide, as I found, takes about an hour to turn. <laughs> so I was swimming on a treadmill. Well, it felt like a treadmill for an hour. And that was one of the only times I've ever felt scared of water, actually was then because i was so little in oh, the boat amazed. it's the only time that, oh, that sounds yeah given all your swimming yeah 
Wow, it's incredible. So, yeah. I guess because I wasn't expecting it. And the boat, it's not a big boat, but it's bigger than a person. So I was getting swept back faster than the boat was moving. Oh, I see. So I, f- I was moving away backwards from the boat. And that was very frustrating. And at the eight-hour mark, I stuck my head up. I've been swimming on a treadmill for an hour. The, fe- oh. the feed came around. I stuck my head up. And I was like, guys, why the fuck am I swimming on a treadmill? And they just said, oh, no, 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 you're doing fine. You're doing fine. Uh, but... My other crew member, my friend Mike, didn't say anything. He just pointed straight behind me and I turned around and the sun was literally sitting on the horizon like that. And that was when I realised I was in the middle of an ocean. Wow. Because I, I was literally halfway and I've, I've never, ever seen anything like it. Added to that, it was completely flat glass water as well. Um, and, yeah, that, that was when I realised, oh, my God, I'm in the middle of the sea. But the most beautiful thing I've ever seen is the sun coming up then. And then the tide quickly stopped turning and we carried on. So yeah. was the beauty enhanced by the kind of danger and, you know, you were sort of in the abyss in a way, but mm. also, I mean, part of my feeling about large bodies of water is that they sort of represent death to us, that death and eternity, they just feel like, or the closest sort of thing we have to them is this this horizon of water that, you know, it just seems has no end and you if you were to swim out to it, you would just in the end just get subsumed and no one would ever see you again. And this this feels like death to me, you know. I don't feel like that. No. No. I I, <laughs> I look at a big body of, like, a, the sea and I think of an opportunity, <laughs> genuinely. That's and what I you think, swam the channel. But, yeah, <laughs> but I think that that comes from yeah. experience. You know that the end is always going to come. That is the thing that you learn in training, is that no matter how horrific you feel... It will always end. Even if you have to wait for another eight hours, it's always going to end. And it's only a day. I guess you gain perspective on, it comes back to a sense of time as well. Like when you're swimming for, I would say more than six or seven hours, your brain kind of shuts down. And that coincides with you switching from burning carbohydrate to burning fat, by the way. That's the science of it, I think. So actually you don't feel a sense of time anymore. So it can not only not mean anything and kind of disappear, but it can also be extremely acute. Because in the book you write about the time that you nearly drowned. (laughs) And then I imagine in the moment, it's kind of a cliche, but like, you know, in a near-death experience, time slows down and you can, you know, everything is very kind of acute and in focus. That's the complete opposite of my kind of swimming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) The whole time you've been talking about it, I have been thinking, feeling like, I'd just be thinking how deep the water is underneath me. <laughs> I would probably just, it's just this bottomless sea mm. almost. And like I'm this insignificant thing and I'm trying to paddle. <laughs> you just got, you know, it's such a, if a storm kicks up, mm. no chance, right? I don't really remember thinking how deep it was, to be honest. I did, uh, beforehand, I thought like, oh, it's going to be quite deep water. But during the thing, especially because you swam at night as well, so the depth, what you can see at night is the same as what you can see in the day, which is absolutely nothing. Dark water, that's also scary, isn't it? You just don't know what's beneath, well, beneath I... you, a little basking shark <laughs> nibbling away. <laughs> I trained in Dover Harbour, which has visibility of absolutely zero. I so I was used brilliant. to swimming in water that I couldn't see what was coming. And you get used to that. I find water dangerous. I respect it. Yeah. Obviously, it's powerful. But the, the, my least favourite liquid, I think, is liquid soap because I it annoys me. And I don't think it really needs to exist. 
In fact, I'm convinced it doesn't need to exist. Because, A, it didn't exist until quite recently. Uh, a bar with soap was fine for everyone for quite a long time. <laughs> uh, and um, liquid shampoos were there, of course. And then some people were like, well, we, why can't we make a liquid soap? And no one really wanted it because we didn't need it, it turns out. But no, the marketing people got hold of it. And they decided that if you had one of those push squirt mm. containers, not a pouring container, but a push squirt container, people would suddenly want it. And then it, so all of a sudden it started popping up here and there and people had it in their houses, mostly posh people, I noticed. <laughs> it was sort of status thing in a way. And then it was just doing the same job as a bar of soap but somehow it's in this sort of fancy container and it costs more. And then the whole MRSA thing hit and suddenly a big deal in all the hospitals was people were dying of bugs that were just, you know, intrinsic in the hospital and that the whole washing hands of everyone in hospitals became important and that and these liquid soaps started to market themselves as antibacterial. And they actually put different ingredients into them, but actually it's since been proven that you know, they're as antibacterial as a bar of soap is. But right. that really pushed the whole wave of public opinion in their favour. And and also there is this kind of aesthetic thing. Like, well, a bar of soap, effective as it is, has just been handled by someone else. And although you, although the soap is going to kill the bacteria, people have this kind of, they just touch that. I don't yeah. want to just touch that. When actually you've just touched all of, like everything in the bathroom has been touched by that other person, including their butt. Yeah. Like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know? What yeah, I mean? exactly. No, exactly. I mean, but but it's a very physical because you can actually see them. You know, bars of soap show the you know in their physicality they show the squeeziness mm. of them, and and they can also be quite mangy as they well. They slough because, off, don't they? They yeah. slough off their outer skin, especially if they're left in a pool of liquid. Yeah, you're you're making a, a sort of a face as if to say you prefer liquid soap, but. You know, and, and I and also there is that thing about having a bar of soap in a bath where it all goes cloudy and mm. and then you lose it and then you can't find it. <laughs> I know, I know. But these are the things that are both annoying but also make you appreciate them. You know, they have character. Liquid mm. soap. Sorry, soap. Whereas liquid soap, it's just a marketing person's dream, right? It's all the same ingredients, pretty much. They just change the color of it in a few cents, yeah. and they, inc- they increase it by ten times the, the price. Yeah, that annoys me. Then the kind of ingredients, the SLS, you know, the sodium lauryl sulfates that are the detergents in them, they're incredibly powerful. Mm. And they're usually made of something called palm oil. And palm oil's a really big problem in the world. Mm. Palm oil, you know, think you know, the whole tropics are being replanted with palm oil plantations and this stuff is just destroying wildlife and diversity. And I hate to think, I mean, palm oil is in more than liquid soap. It's in everything. It's in baked good. Go to the supermarket, look in the ingredients. Go down any aisle in the supermarket. I, you will find this thing called SLS, sodium lauryl sulfate, or its cousin molecules. So it's everywhere. But, sorry, it's not in the baked goods, but the palm oil's in the baked goods. Mm. <laughs> sorry. Um, but, yeah, so this is another thing I have against liquid soap. So on the one hand, it's destroying the planet. And on the other hand, it's, in my view, unnecessary and overpriced. And also, here's, here's the clincher. You squirt it into your hand. It doesn't feel very pleasant, that squirt, in my view. It's like someone's peeing in your hand, like a tiny animal. <laughs> it's peeing in your hand. And then, and then you're meant to rub it into your hands and make a lather, right? Yeah. But do people do that? No. They, they immediately sort of push it under the tap. I'm going to slide this too. Push it under the tap. Most of the liquid soap then just gets, goes straight off. It does. Down the thing. So yeah. You, so 90%, 95% of this stuff never actually gets used, right? Yeah. And then... 
ah! You know, like it's, the product didn't need to exist. It doesn't work very well, in my view. And it's, you know, endangering the planet. It's bad. What we need, if we're going to go down the route of not bars of soap, and I understand your concerns about them, is is a foam, can, you know, because actually you only need a very little, you know, of these detergents to do yeah. the job. And there are some foam dispensers yeah, now. They're, great. they're really good. Yeah. They are really good because they, they're only dispensing a tenth yeah. of, or even less. Yeah. And and actually you can't, you, you can't really, weirdly, I think psychologically, you can't put a foam straight underneath the tap because it's obvious to you that it's going. I don't know what, I, I think you sort of do have to sort of wash it around your, I know. So yeah. I think the foams are good. Okay. If we can't have a bar of soap. Bring me foam, but let's. I, I I hope I live to see the day that liquid soap no longer exists. Well, listeners, there is your homework for the episode. <laughs> Throw away all of your liquid soaps. Uh, so, where can people find the book, and where can people find you online to read more, hear more about liquids? Well, I'm online, so just look me up. And liquid is on sale at all good bookshops. Foils has many signed copies that they will sell you. Nice, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. Uh, it's it's widely available. Excellent. Well, thank you for coming on Real Talk, Mark. It's a pleasure. So that was Mark Miodovnik. A huge thanks to him for coming on the show. And seriously, go and buy the book Liquid right now. You won't regret it. Don't forget that Real Talk Live is this Thursday, the 4th of October, at the Harrison Pub in King's Cross. I'm going to be talking to materials legend Zoe Laughlin about ice. We've only got literally a couple of tickets left, so if you were thinking of coming down, then make sure that you snap those up and we'll be sure to squeeze you in for what is set to be a very exciting evening of Materials Chat. The link to that is in the show notes. As always, you can say hello to us on Twitter at RealTalk, that's R-I-A-L Talk, and we'll be back with another episode in two weeks' time. So until then, look after yourselves out there, look out for liquids, and we'll be back in your ears next time on Real Talk. 